Good morning, everyone. We're reading from First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen to fifteen. Verse thirteen: Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, these three short verses, we pray, Lord, you would open our hearts to that you would speak to us through them this morning, Lord, that we would understand and be have revealed to us in our hearts and in our minds something of who you are and what it means to live in response to what you are, who you are, and what you've done. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord Jesus, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So last Sunday, Cameron uh, spoke uh, from the front and uh, shared with us uh, uh, about living our story. And at one point he said this, the Bible on its own is not actually the best way to reach people. Evangelism works best when the Bible, which is God's story, meets our story and the two intersect. So it's not just here, here's the Bible, but actually how are we living the story in the Bible in our lives so that others would see that and be drawn in to that story. What I want to share with you today, to the best of my ability, is uh, what I've learned from the Bible itself about how to do that, about practically how we live this out. Jesus uh, has given us, through his words... And through the way he made disciples, uh, through the New Testament writers um, that were inspired by the Spirit of Jesus, Jesus has given us in all of that a whole lot of practical guidance on how to make ripples, if you like, that lead people to salvation in Jesus. Uh, We have a whole lot from Jesus on how to do this practically. Um, And I don't know of a passage that brings all of that biblical guidance together as concisely as 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 15 that we just read. So I'm going to unpack these couple of verses of Scripture today, but in doing so, I also actually just want to share what I've learned in this journey, Uh, what I've picked up, what has been drilled into me by others, but what I've come to, to realize is true on this this journey. Now, I am by no means an expert, and I said that at the beginning of this year over and over and over. I'm a learner, just like you are. Uh, I'm a learner. But until a few years ago, I was honestly also just a theorist, meaning that I didn't put it into practice. Uh, But we don't need people who know what the Bible says about how to be disciples and make disciples. 
We don't, peop- no, we don't need people who, who, who understand all of the methods and ways biblically and all of the good arguments for missional versus attractional and co- all of the different approaches. We need people who, as they are learning, know what it feels like and can identify personally with Paul and James and Peter and Barnabas and Lydia and Joanna and Luke and Simon and everyone we read about in the scriptures who started this thing called the church that has lasted for 2,000 plus years. Now this is uh, my, my last sermon as said in this series. Julianne's going to wrap up next week. And my encouragement to you today, I thought about what would I, what would I deliver that would, would kind of be my best in terms of an offering to help us as a church around this. And my encouragement to us today when it comes to what I've learned about making ripples uh, is don't keep thinking about it. Just do it. Don't keep thinking about it. Just do something. And I'm hoping I'll give us a little bit more than just something today in terms of what we can do. But this is my advice. Uh, just do it. Peter writes in uh, chapter 3, uh, he writes this, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He's writing, of course, to Christians under persecution. He's writing to those under opposition, direct opposition against their faith and their sharing of the gospel. And as they seek to live out the Great Commission to go and make disciples, to lead others to faith, it's upsetting the status quo. Right? Some people, some powerful people in that setting are not liking it, as is what happens when you call people to live in the way of Jesus, to make Jesus your priority. Other priorities go down and that can upset people. And in this context that Peter's writing to, it was like those Christians in India right now I spoke about and prayed for, who are having their churches burned to the ground and their wives abused. Um, by militant Hindus because the corrupt government has allowed this to happen. One of my good friends has been speaking every day, as I said, with, with pastors there, um, willing to die for Jesus. Now, let's be clear, that's not us, is it? Anybody here had a gun pointed to their head this week, <laughs> said, renounce your faith? I hope not. Now, I understand that pushback against Christianity in Australia is on the rise. I understand there's greater resistance and there's greater criticism of the church and all sorts of things going on. But we are not even close to the kind of persecution, real persecution, that Christians in Paul and Peter's time faced or that our Indian brothers and sisters or others in other parts of the country, it's not just in India. But there is an important principle we can still pick up here, and it's this, that if that becoming carriers of the good news uh, to, a, to the world, it will f- be met with great resistance. If we think becoming carriers of the good news message will be easy and that it won't meet opposition, we're sadly mistaken, horribly mistaken. The only question really is this, what kind of resistance will we face? And the scriptures talk about three kinds of resistance. I spoke on this uh, late last year and it got way more response than just about any sermon I've preached. I think people just like, wow, this is really helpful. Three kinds of opposition to the Great Commission, to the Gospel, to Jesus. One is the world. It's what persecuted Christians are facing. The people around them, the culture around them is going, no, we don't want you to follow Jesus and talk about Jesus. That can happen. Literal, physical danger. The threat of death even. 
the world around the church in direct opposition to it. But in other places, the gospel is going forth. People are preaching the gospel. There doesn't seem to be a lot of resistance. The culture around is accepting it. People are coming to faith and churches are being planted. And that can be where there is legitimate demonic resistance. The gospel is going out and the devil steps in and goes, come on, God, these people have got it too easy. Let me at them. Right? You read Job? It's like he's got it too easy, God. And he goes, all right, well, te- we'll, we'll see a test. I trust, I trust Job. Right? And this is why, one of the reasons why, all my friends who are church planters and seeing people coming to faith at a rate far greater than most churches, half their congregation are sick. Stuff happens that just isn't normal, which is why we need to pray for our church plant team and those who will engage in this venture. But I would suggest that our opposition, for the most part, is not the world around us. It's not even the devil. It's the third one. It's the flesh. Because for more than a century of a Christian culture, Christendom, if you like, and a prosperous Western world, and a prosperous Western church, and no real opposition from other sources. All of this has meant that the greatest opposition to leading people to Jesus is ourselves. The last 100 years or more of a comfortable, well-resourced church that seems to gel nicely with the society around it, because ultimately it has shaped the society around it. This has all reinforced the mindset in us. Sharing our faith is not that important. It's not really mission critical. After all, the church is doing all right. And so here's, here's the big one. The church is doing all right, so there are more important things to do. I've got more important things to do. The opposition's not external. It's, it's in here and then in here. A good friend of mine says the biggest barrier to most Christians sharing their faith is not that they don't know how to. It's not that they're facing opposition. You know what the biggest barrier to most Christians sharing their faith is? And I can testify to this. It's this. I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. And don't get me wrong. We're all busy and we can be busy for good reasons. But I had to accept this and repent and say, God, that's me. I'm too busy. I've got to change that. Busy is a choice. Busy is a yoke we live under. Right, That, that image of being yoked to a larger animal. And, and it's not Jesus' yoke. Mark, founding pastor of this church, used to say, it's B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. Busy. And, and, and look, don't get me wrong, I'm still busy. We're all busy. But now I choose... And I hope you will too, to be busy with different kinds of things. What do you choose to be busy with, to make time for? It's a choice. Can we recognize that when we seek to make ripples with our lives, the opposition we face is real. It's, it's a force to be reckoned with. We will face opposition. But most of the time, it's not out there. Like, oh gosh, it's really hard. It's in here. It's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm battling against myself, but my mindset, what's, cre- what's capturing my time and attention and priorities. And so do we give time 
to our relationship with non-Christians, to understand them, to listen to their story, to love them, to build trust. I had to get honest with myself and go, you know what? If I really care about their souls, I'll make the time. I'll give up other things and I'll make the time. And Peter goes on to write this. He says, and here's what I think really answers that. Well, what do we do with this? If our greatest opposition is ourselves in the Western Comfortable Church, what do we do? He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What's the antidote to any opposition we face to sharing our faith, whether it's people trying to kill us or just a mindset? What's the antidote to the fear of failure, the fear of being pushed back against internally or externally? Revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. I remember this one time I was at uh, South Mandarin Uniting Church um, where Yoi's gone to be part-time pastor, um, um, our brother Yoi here, and... Um, uh, this, was, this was our family's home church. And one time this guy came along and he was a bit different. Um, I think he came with the visiting preacher and he pulled me up afterwards. He could see that I was a young Christian, sort of getting on, you know, uh, um, uh, involved in ministry and faith. And, and he pulled me aside and he was saying, hey, you know, what, what is it that solves all our fears that hold us back from loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus. What is it that, that, that deals with all of the fears? We get fear, fear of failure and fear of man and fear of people and fear of what people think of us and fear of... He said, what is it that... And I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, man. Like, you know, he was getting really passionate, right? This guy's like on the floor, he's doing gestures and he's trying to... What? Come on, and he wanted me to get the answer. And I'm like, I don't know, just tell me. And eventually he goes, the, the, the secret, the only thing that will remove all of those fears that trap us in life is if our fear of God is greater. And fear of God is not being scared of God. Perfect love drives out all fear. What we're talking about is a deep love and reverence for God which trumps absolutely everything else. And so no other priority or fear or revering of anything else can get in the way because it... The reverence of God is the greatest, and everything else falls away. When you care more about what God thinks than what anyone else thinks, or even you care more about God, what God thinks than what you think, then all the other things dissolve. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. You know, that conversation with that slightly strange guy stuck with me as a young Christian. And every time I've come face to face with a new challenge or a hardship or a frustration or a fear or a worry, I find it always comes back to this. Make Jesus number one and everything else falls into place. I fail at that regularly. I was in a session with my coach this week and I was like, why am I not doing this and why can't I get this right? And it's like, oh, it's all because I've just been drifting in my time walking with Jesus in the last couple of weeks. All points back to that. That's gotten out of whack. I need to get back to that and everything else will fall into place. So if we want to be used by Jesus to see others receive eternal life through him, make him Lord of everything and make him Lord in everything. It's the best advice we could ever have. You know, there's no throwaway lines in the Bible. (laughs) This one is the most practical, most applicable, most helpful for fruitfulness advice when it comes to evangelism and sharing our faith that you'll ever find. Revere Christ as Lord. 
put him first. For some of you, God will begin to use you to draw others to himself when you start praying for your family. For some of you, God will start to use you to draw others to himself when you start tithing. Some of you will be like, God will begin to use you to speak the gospel into others' lives when you dust off your Bible. Whatever it is, place Jesus as Lord of your life in everything. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Peter goes on, so that's number two. Peter goes on and he says, Be prepared always to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We've, uh, I know I've often read this, I think we've often read this and focused on the bit about being ready to answer those who ask you. You know, as in, so long as I'm ready, right? That if somebody asks me about my faith, I'll be able to tell them why I'm a Christian. But I really hope they don't ask. Anyone thought that before? None of you are being honest, right? <laughs> it's like, I really, yeah, but I really hope they don't ask. I mean, I'll tell them if they ask me, but ugh, that's all, right? But think about the people Peter's writing to. They aren't like going, oh, I hope no one asks. They are actively pursuing, like living out the mission, the commission of Jesus to go and take the good news to the ends of the earth. They want to tell everyone. He's just encouraging them not to hesitate if one of the people who comes to them or that they go to is someone who is, has sinister motives and wants to hurt them, right? Their, setting is, their, their context is persecution. Once again, our opposition to disciple-making, gospel-sharing uh, is not so much external as it is internal and internal. And so to always be prepared, as Peter says, is not to sit back and wait, well-trained and well-studied and well-versed. It's to have a plan and do something with it. Aside from being too busy, my greatest barrier, and I wonder if it's the same for some of you, my greatest barrier to leading others towards faith in, in Jesus was a fear I would mess it up because I wasn't doing it right. Right? Fear of failure. Oh, what if there's a better way? But here's what I've learned and what I said at the beginning. How, how to do it right? Make a plan and just do it. <laughs> Make a plan and just do it. There's no perfect way, no right way to win people to Jesus. There are so many methods and there are so many strategies and tools and tricks and and, and courses, some of them, sure, don't work very well and that's been proven and we should do the stuff. But the only way that we will discover what works and what doesn't is by having a go. And so my learning has been this, love people genuinely, pray for people salvation passionately, choose a way to walk them towards Jesus and just do it. Peter wrote to his friends, always be prepared. I think he would write to us, you're prepared, so go out there and practice. And I don't want to then go, well, well, just do it, just do something. I want to give a few things this morning that if, if you have a better way and you know it works, all power to you. But here's four things this morning that I, I believe we can do which can work, and if it doesn't, try another one. I hope this is practical and, and helpful for you this morning. The first is, and I haven't put these up on the screen, but just 
yeah, write them down, remember them, whatever. Not, not hard to remember. The first is invite someone to do an alpha course with you. Now, this is not something you've got to wait for the church to run. This is something you can go, hey, Joe Bloggs, would you like to do Alpha with me? And if he says yes, do Alpha with him. All right, we can give you the resources. It's literally like sit down with a laptop screen, watch a video, and have a conversation. You can do Alpha one-to-one with someone. If you've got a group of people, fantastic. If you want to help gather a group of people and you want to help to do that, do that awesome. But we have people in this church, um, some in the room this morning, who have come to faith and have gone on a journey of discovering who Jesus is through this course, and it works. I don't know why. I don't even think the creators of Alpha know why. They just know it works. So this is one way we can do. Um, if you don't know what Alpha is, it's a series of videos with conversation around faith, the essentials of the faith, and what it means to follow Jesus. The second is to invite someone to read the Bible with you. I'm just going to pull up my laptop. So these first two, if you're wondering about them, you can jump on our website and go to the front page and click and go to the part that says sharing your faith and click on find more about Alpha, running Alpha, or find out more about DBM, Discovery Bible Method. Discovery Bible Method is a really, really simple way being used all around the world that has proven to help millions and millions of people come to faith, where you sit down with someone and you read a Bible passage And then you do something really profound. You read the Bible passage again. And then you do something even more profound. You say, what does this say about God? And you have a chat about it. And then you say, what does this say about us? And then you have a chat about it. And then you come back next week and you do the same thing. And this page on our website, it gives you, it links to a friend of ours, another church who are friends of ours. They've got a little simple guide on that. Um, And again, I do know why this works actually. Uh, It works. God speaks through his word. I'm not talking about with other Christians. I'm talking about with someone who you could ask them this question. Hey, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Don't know if you'd be interested. We, have so, we know so many people have come to faith through that one question. It's part of what our team did, our coaching thing with, uh, with some coaches over the last couple of years. So read the Bible with someone, discovery Bible method. Uh, the third one is if you, if you feel as if reading the Bible with someone or doing an alpha course is a bit too structured and you're like, you know what, I could probably just meet with them and have conversations hey, let's talk about this part of faith. What do you think about that? It would just be invite someone to discuss Christian content or topics. That could be the chosen TV series or it could just be, hey, what do you think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross? And have a conversation about it. Now, if uh, if, if you feel really, really competent, this is a good one. But I'd say most of us probably feel like we need some sort of a tool to latch onto to help someone walk towards faith. But if you're like, no, no, I got this, I can just have a conversation with them, then go for it. Just invite someone to coffee once a fortnight, once a week, whatever works, dinner. And the fourth one is something that I wonder if we've inadvertently created a kind of a resistance against because of what we think church is. And that one is just invite someone to church. 
We are going to finish this series next week and stop talking every single week about evangelism, 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 and how to win your friends to faith. And we're going to shift a little bit. And one of the things our team has said is we just want to make sure that every single Sunday, to the best of our ability, this space on a Sunday morning is a place you could very comfortably bring your friend to so that they can hear what it means to follow Jesus without compromising on this being a place primarily to build up the believers in faith and love. But we want to make sure that this is a place, and hopefully it has been in this time. If you're not a Christian here today or you're on a journey, you're sort of discovering, we want you to know we're here for you. We're we're here to love you and to help you follow Jesus too. We're not making any excuses for that. Um, But we want to make sure that this place is a place every single Sunday where you can just bring a friend and go, okay, if I can do nothing else... I can say, hey, would you like to come to church with me? The statistics say there are more than a few people in Australia who will say yes to that question. Not everyone. Some people are like, eh, not my thing. But there are, if they're friends with you, the chances are really good they'll be open to that. Now, these are all invitations. Invite someone to do Alpha, read the Bible, come to church, have chats with you on a regular basis about faith conversations. Right? These are invitations, and I know we get scared of people turning us down, right? What if they say no? What if they kind of go, oh, my goodness, that's your agenda. I think i better find a new friend. But what have we got to lose? Surveys say that, have shown that it usually takes about 12 interactions with another Christian for someone to be ready to explore the Christian faith further. Melinda Dwight talks about the clock face of faith. You know, they, your friend might be at 11 and your invitation to them, they go, you know what, I've had enough interaction with Christians now, I think maybe I need to think about this a bit more deeply. Yes, I will do an Alpha course with you. Yes, I will read the Bible with you. Your invitation might just be the thing that gets them closer or goes, okay, I'm ready to engage in this journey. Let me tell you about my friend real quick who I call, I'll call Bill. Uh, Bill... About four or five years ago, did an Alpha course uh, when we put one on upstairs. And he came along and he engaged and he was like, that was really helpful, thanks. And then we didn't see him for a while. And then a few years later, we ran another Alpha course. And we saw Bill and Bill came along and he went, oh, oh, I enjoyed that last time. I'll do it again. So he did an Alpha course. And this time he's like, oh, I I forgot about that stuff. I don't remember that being in the last one. I was like, okay, cool. That was really good. And then he went home. And then a couple of things happened in Bill's life. And he was around the facility a little bit. And one of our staff would just chat with him every night. How's this this family situation going for you? And you lost someone close to him. And um, eventually... Um, I got the chance to talk to Bill a little bit about this and I said, Bill, would you like to read the Bible with me um, just to talk about what's in it and what, what it might mean for you and your belief in God? Because Bill claimed to be someone who believed in God but not so sure what the Christian you know, Jesus is all about. He said, I'd love that. That'd be great. So about six months ago, Bill and I started meeting up once a week at a particular time, although inevitably things always got in the way. It ended up being about once a fortnight. And we read the Bible together. And I literally went to that website that's linked on ours now and went, right, where do we start? Let's do these suggested passages. Let's open whatever the first one was, somewhere at the beginning of the Gospels. And we read that passage. And said, what stands out for you? What does this say about God? Oh, cool. And we went on. And we did this approximately once every fortnight for about an hour. And um, 
there were a number of things in Bill's life. He went, I just, I don't, I, I'm not grappling with this. Eventually, Bill started to do a bit of his own research and a little bit of reading the Bible for himself. And he got onto the Bible Project videos. And then he started watching The Chosen. And I began, I was praying for Bill regularly. And he begin, began to, to think more deeply and to go, maybe I do need to, to think about what this Jesus really has to offer. And he said to me one day, um, I, we were talking about forgiveness and God's grace. And he said, I just don't really know that I'm worthy of that forgiveness. And there was the opportunity to share the gospel. I said, Bill, that's the point. None of us are worthy, but he's graceful and merciful to us anyway. And I got the opportunity to pray for Bill. And that happened, and it wasn't like he made a commitment to follow Jesus yet. But then about two months later, we're reading a scripture. And uh, funny thing about that was when we got to the prodigal son story, I was like, this is it. This is going to, like, he's going to get it. He's going to get the gospel. He's going to respond. Nothing. And it just didn't happen. It's, <laughs> it was just like, oh, this is great principles for parenting. Oh, okay. Right. Next week. There was another passage, I'm like, God's not going to speak through this one, if I'm honest. <laughs> I shouldn't have thought that. That's, that's sinful and bad. But that, I was just like, I don't think anything's going to happen. But I'd been praying for Bill that, that morning, and I said, hey, do you realize that, you know, what, what happened a few weeks ago where you said, I'm just not worthy um, of God's forgiveness? And you said, oh, okay, we prayed that you, you just receive that forgiveness. Do you realize there's another side of it? You know, it's like we can't just say, okay, God, thank you for your forgiveness. I accept that. But then try to go on living our life, pleasing God in our own strength. We actually need God's spirit to come in and help us. Do you want that? He said, yeah, I do. And we prayed a prayer. And it was very, uh, it, it wasn't actually all that dramatic, but Bill gave his heart to the Lord. All because God's spirit was at work in his life, um, but partly because I knew Bill and was just going, what's going on in your life? And I had a tool at my disposal. And that tool was, hey, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Would you be interested? And six months later, Bill's become a Christian. And the next step when we meet up will be, okay, we're going to pray together now because you have the Spirit of God in your life, and you can pray with me. And then the next step will be, hey, Bill, you need community. So why don't you come to church with us and let us help you in that together, not just me. Find a plan, make a plan, and stick with it. And God does the rest. I'm going to scrap the rest of my sermon because um, it's 28 minutes and 50 seconds in and you don't want me to speak for any longer. But honestly, that's, that's the most important thing I'm, I'm hoping you'd come away with today. Um, the other two points were um, around the rest of that verse, um, with the main one being, above all else, just love people. Do this with gentleness and respect, Peter says. Above all else, just love people. If we care about them, we care about their eternity. Their eternity. Uh, we realise we can't love them with the kind of love they need. We just don't have that capacity. But when we step in and do what Jesus has asked us to do, he gives us a love for them that he has, and everything begins to change. So 
that's my best offering for the end of our Ripple Effect series. I hope you'll be here next week because Julianne's going to be just really practical and really helpful in what she has to share. She's been helping Christians do this for years, decades really. Uh, She developed the Ripple Effect study materials over 20 years. And um, I really hope you'll you'll be here for that. Um, But let let me pray for us um, and finish this morning before we we close in worship um, by just asking the Lord to put on our hearts again those five people in our lives that we can love and pray for, that we pray it would then lead to some way of conversing with them over the things of faith. And I encourage you to take the booklets and write those people's names in. So music team, if you want to jump up and we'll pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity this morning and in our lives as followers of Jesus to uh, love people through sharing the gospel with them and sharing our lives with them that what you've done in our lives may ripple out into theirs. Lord, I thank you for our friends who are like Bill I've just talked about. Um, I thank you that uh, some of them are still on the journey. Lord, some of them um, are years away and some of them have recently come to faith because you are faithful And you help us to be faithful in this great commission. I pray this morning, God, that whoever it is who's right in front of our noses, who we we do life with, we see them in our workplace, on our street, but we've not realised that they are people who are searching for answers to life and faith and God and hope. I pray you would put them on our heart right now, that we may commit in our hearts, to pray for them and to love them to the best of our ability, prioritising relationships with them above other things that have made us too busy. Lord, show us who those three, four or five people are right now, I pray. And Lord, I thank you that you are the shepherd who would leave the 99 to pursue, to run after, to seek out the one who has gone astray. Lord, I thank you that you are the father who would wait anxiously, looking over the horizon for his son to return home and that when he would see that silhouette of his lost child, would lose all dignity and run towards, to embrace with complete mercy and complete grace. May you place that heart in us, a broken heart, God, for the lost, that we may love genuinely and pray passionately for those who are being called in to the church to be brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, we pray you would bring the lost children home. We pray that your spirit would draw them in. 
We pray that your word would convict them of sin, that they might find freedom and healing in your forgiveness. Lord, and we pray that you would use us for this grand and glorious mission that you've left this week. In Jesus' name we pray.